you ever get that call um, from somebody and and you're like, oh man, not this person, and maybe you don't. Maybe it's me when I call you, like, oh man, that guy. And you're tempted, you hit decline, you know, even though you're not really busy and you want to text them back because, you know, they escalated, they went straight call, and, you know, it's, it's the text, then the call, uh, the protocol. But you know this person, when they're calling you, you get that uh-oh feeling because they always have an agenda. They always have something they're going for. They always have something. When they call you, you know they're going to be asking you something big. They're going to be calling you and being like, hey, can I get this from you? Hey, can you do this for me? Hey, this, hey, that. Have you ever met that type of person? Do you know that type of person? If you don't know that type of person, you might be that type of person, and you might need somebody to speak into your life some truth about how, how you are, okay? And so here's the, here's the thing. When we come, oftentimes when we come to the Bible, we, and even pastors, we come with our agenda. See, one of the things that helps us when we walk verse by verse, and one of the things why, that's where we're committed to at the journey to walking verse by verse through some sections of Scripture is because we don't come with an agenda. We let God set the agenda. Does that make sense? And so we're going to walk through this book of Titus, and probably many of you have never heard this book taught. In fact, when Tom suggested it, I was like, I don't know, man. And then I read it, and I was like, yeah, man, that's good. That's, it's, it's awesome. This is 46 verses. That's it. 46. Three chapters, 46 verses. You can read through it in about, it depends on how fast you read, 10 or 15 minutes, you're done. It's something we're going to walk through together because I believe God's got something big to say to us. And the, the theme of it is right here on this, on this uh, nice graphic here. Titus, doctrine makes a difference. Doctrine makes a a difference. I'm going to show you that what that is. And doctrine, first off, some of you, when you hear the word doctrine, you're like, I'm checking out because that sounds big. I don't know what that word means, but it sounds like we're going to come in here and you're going to put on a tweed jacket and some glasses and you're going to tell me some, you're going to use some big words and I'm not going to understand it. And, and that's just something I don't need to know because I'm just following Jesus. But I want you to know something. This book is very clear. Doctrine means teaching. Sound doctrine is what is commended in this book more than any other book, sound being healthy doctrine. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to venture to tell you this. What you believe matters. If you believe wrong, not only is it a big deal between you and God, but also you'll act wrong. Our beliefs matter, and they result in our actions. We do what we believe. I'm going to show you this. We're going to walk through real quick in, in Titus, coming with no agenda but this, okay? We're not going to be those people calling you and trying to get me. When we come to Titus, our agenda is this. God speak to us because we believe this about the, about the Scriptures. It's God's Word given through these specific men, these apostles, and those who knew the apostles firsthand. And in the Old Testament, prophets and, and people who are called by God, God moved in them in such a way that they wrote exactly what he wanted. Right? And the Bible is God's word. And so when we come to it, our agenda is just this. It's not teach us a different way, make us more moral, make us, make us love you more, all those things we want. But our agenda really is this, God speak to us. And so we come, we come up in Titus chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. If you don't have a copy of God's word, it'll be on the screen for you. And you probably already figured that out because they already got it on the screen. So there we go. Paul, a servant of God an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. And at the proper time, he manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. To Titus, my true child and a common faith, grace and peace from God our Father 
and, Je- and Christ Jesus our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appointed elders in every town as I directed to you. Now, here's the thing. I want to talk to you first about context and then about purpose, okay? The first thing is context. The second thing is pur- purpose. Context. What is the context? It's what is happening in this letter when it was written in its original time, okay? Which about Paul is the author of this, okay? So there's three people you need, or three things you need to know. The first thing about context is Paul, okay? Everybody say that with me. Paul, okay? Paul. The next one is Titus. Ready? Titus. Hey, you guys catching on quick, okay? The third one is Crete, okay? Paul's a person. Titus is a person. Crete's a place. You got it? Man, you guys are, we are cooking with gas. Even though it looks just terrible outside and gray, you came ready to go this morning. So I'm I'm thankful for that. Because here's what we got. Paul, he says something about himself. And this is great. This is the form of these ancient writers. See, we start a letter with, dear so-and-so. You address the person the letter is going to. They started with, Here's who I am, and here are my credentials, which is great. Because if you get an email from somebody you don't know, what do you do? You delete it. Don't you wish all conversations were like that, where you knew the person's angle, and you knew what the person was going to say before it happened, so you can either go, recycling bin, trash, no, okay? Maybe you don't have conversations like that, but sometimes I do, and I'm just like, man, if you'd have told me what this was about, we could have, like, had this never, okay? We could have scheduled a time for, you know, 2028, okay? And we wouldn't have to have that. But see, Paul, he's going to establish his credentials, and so who the letter is about, he, or who the letter is from is first and foremost, so you know who is writing to you. And who is writing is important. You would not believe a pathological liar. At least you should not believe a pathological liar. You would not trust somebody who proved to be untrustworthy. You would not take advice, health advice, from somebody who is crazy out of shape and in poor health, would you? No, thank you. Somebody says, thank you. Somebody's with me today. You would not, you would not take, if you're playing sports or something, you would not take advice from the kid who's really not good at sports. Would you? You have to have somebody with credentials, and Paul lets us know his credentials, and he is getting us in the letter, and so you can't zoom past anything. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable, even the weird stuff, even the small stuff. And so Paul is the one who is writing this letter, and it starts off, Paul, a servant, some of your translations will say a slave to God, a slave of God. He has been bought with a price, and Paul now, he is a servant of a slave to the one true God, which is very interesting because you know who Paul was? He used, to be, he used to be completely and utterly devoted to Judaism. You can look this up in the book of Acts and, it, and most of his writing because he wrote, he's an apostle of Jesus. We're going to talk about that in a minute. He wrote most of the New Testament. And Paul, and he's, it, Paul's credentials were he was trained by the best of the best of the Jewish rabbis. He had an Ivy League Jewish education. And he hated Christianity. He saw it as, as unbiblical, un-Old Testament. And then what happened? Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, and he was struck blind. And he was given, the scales fell off when somebody came and told him the gospel. He met Jesus on that road. Jesus said to him, Saul, his name was Saul at that point, said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
and he was able, he went into a town, blinded, some man came and shared the gospel with him. The scales fell off, and now he is this person who goes, he, he's a slave to God now. He used to be a slave to himself, a slave to his sin, a slave to this old religion he had, this Judaism, but now he's a slave to God, and he's called an apostle. What we see here is Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to get this word, because there's a lot of people who call themselves apostles, if you, if you are in a situation around somebody or around a church and somebody calls themselves an apostle, you should see a red flag, especially if they're using it in the Bible sense, okay, in the, the way that Paul and the people who eyewitness Jesus. Here's, here's who the apostles are. The word ri- literally means sent ones, okay? And so these are people who are sent out The apostle, though, when it's used most of the time in the New Testament, is about someone who eyewitnessed the ministry of Jesus. And so if you're around somebody who's claiming to be an apostle, you just ask them this question. Did you eyewitness the ministry of Jesus? Like, how old are you? You look pretty good. Like, because you have to be a couple thousand years old. Okay, I'm not, trying to be, I'm not trying to be glib here, but that's the truth. That's who the apostles are in the scriptures. They are people who eyewitnessed the, the ministry of Jesus. And some of you are thinking, Paul didn't. Yeah, but Paul would say he was one untimely born because you remember that whole vision on the road to Damascus thing we just mentioned? Jesus appeared to him and said, I've called, I got a purpose for you and a plan for you. And so Paul is not only is he a slave to God now, a servant to God because he was bought with a price. He's also a sent one of God, the one who is sent out to do something. And then we look in verse 3, and we're going to really unpack the other stuff. But verse 3 says this, and at the proper time, he um manifested his word through the preaching which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. So not only is he an apostle and not only is he a servant of God, but he has been commanded and given this commission to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought it's weird, like church? It should be. If church is not weird to you, you've been in it too long, okay? And it's even weird to me because if you think about it, where do you get together? and sing. Like, not just one song. Like, you know, you know, some of you are like, well, I was watching the NFL games the other day, and the national anthem, all that kind of stuff. Okay, forget that. That's one time, and you know you who we're focused on. You're focused on the person singing, and whether they can sing the national anthem or not, okay? And whether it's going to be good, or it's going to be bad, and you can, you know, whatever. Most of the time, though, you don't get together with people and sing. It's weird. If I, if I sent out a thing and said, hey, everybody come to my house, we're going to sing, you might be like, that's weird. Hey, you know, if I just went to some people who don't have a church background and said, hey, you want to come over? We're going to sing together. They'd be like, mm-mm, no, man, I'm not doing that. It's like, is this Broadway? What are you doing? And <laughs> welcome to my house, you know. Um, we've got a cane. <laughs> That's not normal. Then we're going to get together, and we're going to bow our heads for a long time, a prayer, and then we're going to do some bread and juice stuff. It's weird. And then... You're going to listen to some guy get up and talk to you about the Bible for 30, 40 minutes. It's unusual. But note this, and I want you to see this, a part of Christian worship and a part of Paul's apostleship was to preach the gospel. In verse 3, it says this, that I have been entrusted by the command of God. Let me say, let me go back to this. And, um, it says, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching, he's talking about the gospel, through the preaching with which I have been entrusted 
by the command of God our Savior. So Paul has been entrusted with preaching the gospel of Jesus. Now, when we, th- when we think about the word entrusted, it means something of value has been given to you, and you are to steward that thing. Now, I want you to think about this. All of us have, most of us in here have miniature computers in our pocket. And you know what's the scariest thing to me? The new iPhone costs about $1,200 to $1,500. It's crazy. And I know some people some that we work with and the teenagers on Wednesday night, that they have a $1,500 cell phone in their pocket. And this one kid I'm thinking about, he leaves stuff everywhere. I mean, like, what are you doing giving that kid a $1,500 phone? I love you, parent, if you did that, okay? No, no judgment here. But I couldn't do it because you know what I'd be like? Every five minutes I'd be like, you still got your phone? Yeah, you're talking to me on it. Okay, just making sure. It's 1500 It's like having, would you ever give your kid, here's $1,500, go to the movies, see you later. That would be bad news. That's what you're doing. Here's a $1,500 electronic device. I would be, because so, like, I'm entrusted with that, and I'd be like, where is it? Did you plug it in? Do you have a case? My son's going to get it, okay, when I have to give him a phone like that. And he'd be like, all right, man, did you plug it in? I mean, are you doing, are you doing everything to keep the battery safe? We can't be buying more $1,500 phones. And even if you break it, I got insurance on it, but it's 250 man. Are you... That's it. You're entrusted with something valuable. Now, what Paul has been entrusted with is far more valuable. It's the gospel of Jesus. And how is the gospel of Jesus supposed to be made known? Through preaching. So strange. But that's what Paul's calling is. And that's what we're doing now is we're taking these letters given through the Holy Spirit to the apostle, the sent one. And we are, we are to come hear the preaching of the gospel. And that's how God saves and moves his people is through the teaching and the preaching of the gospel. And so there is something, there is something about this that we come together in preaching, in, in preaching that is, is right and good and can be life-changing. And you know what? A lot of life is how you approach it. When you come into the teaching of God's, God's word at church and the preaching of God's word, how do you come? How do you approach it? Do you approach it with walls? Like of walls of unbelief? It's okay. God's big enough. But you, some, some of us just need to get real and honest. God can handle if you got some issues, if you got some doubts. He can handle that. But here's the thing. If you're just going to not, not address them and you're, you're going to say, I just don't understand. I don't feel anything. But you got these big walls up. You're not being honest. So come, lay the walls down when you come. Or at least acknowledge that the walls are there. Acknowledge the doubts. Acknowledge those things when you come to the Word. Are you coming expecting that God is going to say something to you that would change your life? Not because of the preacher, but because of the Scriptures. Because what we see, Paul has been entrusted. This is something important and valuable. He's been entrusted with the preaching and, and this is the command of God, our Savior. So salvation comes to God through God in Christ, and it, it is, goes out to us through the preaching, and through the preaching we believe. So the preaching is necessary. So do you come expecting that God's word can change your life, or do you expect to leave here the same as when you came? And for the cycles of sin, the patterns of, of, of indifference to continue. Do you approach it as somebody who really needs to learn?
you approach it with notebook in hand, like it would be important. If someone, if your car had a problem, or you had a problem with something in your house, more than likely, you know what you're going to do? You're going to go on YouTube. I do that all the time. I I didn't know how to tie a tie when I was in college. I'm still not very good at it. You you know what we did, me and my roommate? We got some ties. (laughs) We went up into our, our dorm room. And we watch YouTube until we figured out how to tie ties. Don't do that very much. Bless God, I don't have to do that. And, but I know how because of YouTube. The radio went out in my Honda Element, okay? I didn't know how to fix that because I was like, I don't even know how to get into this thing. So I went on YouTube, and I followed the instructions step by step, and I wrote things out, and I knew how to do it, and I had my phone sitting up there, and those instructions were important. So I paid attention to them, and I followed them, and I was able to, after difficulties, if you know me and my mechanical prowess, after some difficulties, I got it done and I fixed it. When we come and we approach other things, we approach different things in our life, we approach them trying to figure out and really applying ourselves to them. And I wonder this, do we just show up at church and we don't show up ready to apply and ready to learn the things that God has for us, ready to even to put some effort into it? Because this is how God has designed things. He has given these men, these apostles who eyewitnessed his ministry, he's given them through the Spirit. He's given us the Scriptures through them and this testimony of Jesus. And he's given us this preaching. And it's through the foolishness of this preaching that God saves and grows his people. And so many of us are indifferent or approach it lackadaisically. And I want to call us. So here's, here's some, some practical things. I don't even have this on here. Here's some practical things you can do to follow along, just, just take some notes. I mean, it's not, and I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, look, we're going to get some wisdom from the 35-year-old guy, okay? No, I'm talking the only wisdom that I have is from the Scriptures. And what I want to impart to you and what I want you to see is that unless I get it from the Scripture, then it's not worth anything. The Scriptures is what, and so if you want to be a student of the Scripture and you want to know God, you're going to have to know God through the Scriptures. It's not going to be through some feeling. Okay? Now, you can feel the presence of God, but if you're relying on your feelings, you could, your whole spiritual life could be changed by a bad burrito. If you're relying on your feelings and not the scriptures, not the preached word of God, then if you have a bad burrito, you'd be like, I'm not saved anymore. Because this is, this is not the Holy Ghost. This is demonic, okay? Taco Bell was not a good choice. And so what we have here is Paul establishing his credentials. He's a servant of God. He's an apostle of God. And he is a commanded preacher. And he's being entrusted with the preaching of the good news. And that is so amazing that God would use the foolishness of preaching to save. It's unbelievable. And not only that, so we got Paul. The next guy is Titus, okay? So now we have, and we're going to come. I know he said, Paul said a lot of stuff. We're getting there in a minute because that's where the doctrine comes in. But Paul he wrote this letter. The recipient of the letter is seen in verse 4. Paul wrote this to Titus, my true, my true child in a common faith. Now, first you need to note this. Titus is a Greek name. So here's the good news. When Jesus came, he brought the Jews and the Gentiles into the kingdom by faith in his finished work, which is awesome because I don't see a lot of Jews out there. All this is a Gentile body of believers. We're some bacon-eating, Gentile-loving people, okay? That's us. But God has brought us in to the promises of Israel 
Jesus. And so Titus is now who, and we can see Titus shows up in some of the epistles, like 2 Corinthians he shows up in and some other ones. He is part of God's work and he's part of God's family because of the work of the cross that brings, that opens the door for all to come in, Jew, Gentile. Greek barbarian. He gets to come in. That's the name Titus. To Titus, he says, he's my true child. So here's another thing. Paul and Titus have a previous relationship. Paul was really a mentor to Titus. Titus is a young pastor in a place called Crete, which we're going to get to in a minute. But it says here that he is a child, which means there has been some investment here by Paul into this, this young man in such a way. And it might be that Paul even led Titus to Jesus, that's, that's one way you can interpret that. But specifically and truthfully, we can know that he, he and Paul had a relationship in which of a mentorship in the faith. I want you to get this and see this really clearly in the Scriptures. Jesus invested in people who did the ministry, who invested in people. Jesus had 12, remember? And then out of the 12, he narrowed it down to three. And those 12 and the three were with Jesus, experienced his ministry, and learn from him. And then when Jesus, we had Judas, you know, he was, he was a false convert. And he ended up, we, we know what happened to him. And then Paul got brought in to part of the 12. So we have this group. And what, who did God use to turn the world upside down? Those 12 men. Who, he inv- who Jesus himself invested in. And they invested in others, who invested in others. And there's this exponential discipleship that is taking place. And so here's the thing. That is the mode of the church. And that's something that, it's a shift that we have made and we have seen in our leadership that we want to be, have people, like my job is not to, and, and Tom's job as elders, we're not, our job is not to do the work, which we're going to do the work. But our job is to help everyone learn how to do the work and follow Jesus, the work of ministry. Have you ever done this before? You got you 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 ran into somebody and you really you really care about their salvation and and they come to you and they ask you a question and you're like, I don't know how to answer that. They maybe ask you something like, Hey, you know, I'm really struggling with depression in my life and I can't see why God would let this come into my life. Can you help me with this? And you're like, Let me tell you something, let me let you talk to my preacher. Okay? He can help you out. You know what? If you come and talk to Tom and I, we're going to be great. We're going to be glad to help you out. But you know what we're going to do from now on? Give you stuff to read and walk with you. Because you know what? The gospel is not just for us to preach. It's for all of us to preach. And we are called, as the book of Ephesians, which Paul also wrote, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And Paul has done this with Titus. He was a man who Paul led to the Lord, and he worked with him in ministry. And now he is in this place called Crete. You ever heard the word Cretan? It actually comes from this place. This is not a great place. Crete is in the Mediterranean Sea. And it is known, and we're going to see this later on in the book, as a place full of lazy, drunk, debauchery. It's kind of like the Jersey Shore of the Mediterranean, okay, or Panama City Beach, if you know, that's where I'm from, God bless, okay? It's like, it's like, mm, it's, it's, it's the place where, it's like the Redneck Riviera, okay, where 
if there was one in the Mediterranean, it was like, let's go, let's party, let's, let's, get our, let's get our Cretan on. There's a reason why the word Cretan is stuck around. They were known for that lifestyle. So here's what happened. Paul and Timothy, the, the, the true child in the face, and this common faith, so here's the, this is another thing that's great, that Titus has the same faith as Paul, common faith. And you know what? We have the same faith as Paul. We have a common faith. We don't have the same calling of apostleship like he had. We're sent out, yes, but we're not apostles, capital A apostles. But our faith is not changed. The very same faith that the apostles had is the faith that we have now. So you look at the Bible and you're like, oh, no, well, they can handle that because they, they had the faith. No, Titus who by all accounts was Greek and did not witness the ministry of Jesus, Paul says, and, and he didn't have the same like road to Damascus blind situation. He has the same common faith as what it says, as Paul. You get that? Like we walk around with this faith that has been given to us by our good God. And that faith is powerful. We are not powerful, but the faith with the, the power of God that, relies, that, that resides in us by the Spirit is powerful. We have this faith. And now as they, so here's what happened. Paul and Titus were on this mission to plant churches and make the gospel known. And they ended up on and people got saved, but it's a real debauched culture. And so they left, they left Titus there to establish elders or pastors at all these churches. And we're going to talk about that later. But I want you to know, those, that's the context. There's this guy named Paul. He's an apostle. He's a slave of God. And he's been entrusted with preaching. And he has mentored this guy named Titus. And Titus is on Crete. And he is training pastors to be pastors of the churches in Crete. And he's putting these people in order. And he tells him some big stuff. And the major thing that he says, and he's going to say in the theme of this book, is that doctrine makes a difference. Everybody say that with me. Doctrine makes a difference. One more time. Doctrine makes a difference. And so teaching makes a difference. And Paul is going to unpack for us in, in verses 1, 2, and 3 some huge doctrinal points that he's going to go over for the rest of the time. And so in our few minutes that we have remaining, I want to point those out to you. Paul, Paul says this in verse 1. Go back to Titus 1. 1 it says this. Paul He's a slave to God, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now we know what that is. And this is what he's doing. For the sake of the faith of God's elect. So the reason his ministry is that he is an apostle is for, on the purpose of, the faith of God's elect. So the first thing you need to see here is that doctrinally we are saved by God's choosing through faith. Now, I wanted to get this, this, this real, real, there is a human, the sign of human responsibility, and there is a sign of divine sovereignty and salvation. And here's the idea that we are, Paul is conducting his ministry for the sake of, the health of, the faith of God's chosen people. And he goes on to say, and notice this, he goes on to say, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began. And so before there was time, God decided to send Jesus to redeem a people. And then in these last days, and when Jesus came in now, God is under, through the preaching of his word, 
calling out those whom he chose before the world began to know him and to be saved by him. And that's what the word chosen means or elect means. That God before the foundations of the earth called people out who would believe and trust in Jesus. And so here's two things I want you to know about that. First and foremost, this takes away all boasting in our salvation. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it's not because you're better than anybody else. It's because God set his love on you and chose you. It's not because you're better. You know what that does? Have you ever met somebody who's a Christian that thinks they're better than everybody else? They may not think they're better than everybody else, but you know they think they're better than everybody else. They're, they're deceived, but you know it. And every time you talk about your life, they're like, oh, yeah, it's pretty unholy. Not like me. When I get up in the morning, the devil gets upset, okay? I'm that holy. And any little thing you bring around them, you're just kind of like, you know they're going to have something to say about it. That right there is spiritual pride. And what does it say? God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So here is what the fact that God chose you, not because of what you would do or who you would be, or that you would have faith, or that you were going to be great, or you are going to do this, or you are going to play Trousdale County football, or you were going to do this, or you are going to be big, big in the 37074, whatever. He didn't choose you because of that. He did it because he loves you, and he just did it because he's good and he's God. So you got no place to boast, and this is the other thing. There are no accidental children of God. Accidental children kind of happen. You won't say they're accidents, but you're like, you didn't plan them, okay? And you're like, oh, you're, they're a blessing. We're like, oh man, we're having a kid. Ah! Okay? It happens. There are no accidental children of God. Before the foundation of the world, he set your, his affections on you and called you out, not because of any good in you, but because of God, which is cool. That means you got a place in the family. You had a name card before you knew you had a name card at the table. Like This is his or her spot. Now I want you to know something. The fact that God chooses and he saves those who he, choose, who he has chosen, he did it before the foundations of the world, which the scripture teaches, okay, does not negate human responsibility and the preaching of the gospel to everyone. Because Paul is the guy who wrote, that, wrote this truth, that he is, his ministry exists for the sake, for the health, for the building up of the faith of God's chosen people. And faith is an action on our part. It's a gift, but it is also something that we do. And so there's a guy that came up to Charles Spurgeon one time, and in one of his great messages, Charles talks about this, that he says, how do you marry divine sovereignty and salvation that God chooses and that man has responsibility to repent and believe? How do you reconcile those two things? And he, in his perfect way, he says, you don't have to reconcile friends. They go together. We don't have to understand it in God's infinite mind. Here's the thing. All who hear the gospel are called to repent and believe, but only those who are called and chosen will repent and believe. And that is something that, that seems in, in, in tension, and it is. And we can't, we can't figure it out because I want you to get this, okay? We can understand what the Bible says about it, but tensions are going to stay there. You know why? Because your mind and my mind cannot comprehend the infinite intelligence of God. Got it? So to preach one thing is not true or to highlight one over the other is to not deal with what God has given us in the scriptures. 
So I want you to see this. Every person is called to repent and believe because he's right. Paul is writing for the faith that our faith, our turn, how do we come? We come to Jesus by turning from our sins and trusting him by faith. So it's, it's an action, but this has been preceded by God's choosing before the earth began and is calling us, and so there's no accidental children of God. But that means we should tell everybody to come in. And we don't know who will come in, but let's let God handle it, okay? You know, it's like the opposite of let's kill them all and let God sort it out. Don't do that. That's wrong. Ours is preach to all of them, love all of them, make much of Jesus to all of them, and God will sort it out. Because that is how good the gospel is. And here's the thing. If you are in Christ, you are loved and accepted and have a place at the table, and it was before the world began. You are not an accident. doesn't matter what your parent told you. doesn't matter what the person at school told you. doesn't matter those people that have put you down in your life. If you are in Christ, he chose you. You are his. It doesn't matter what they say. He put his affection on you. He loves you. You're a child. That is good, good news. Because that is the gospel. And then he says this. Paul, his servant of God and his apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect, his apostleship, and this, this letter here is to increase your faith and to help you understand teaching, doctrinal teaching. And it says this. Their knowledge, and it says, for the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. Now, I want you to notice progression here, okay? Follow me. You with me? Everybody, you with me? Okay, some of you are. All right, cool. Here's, here's the thing. Watch this. He says this, in hope, and he says in verse 1, he says, he, for the sake, he's an apostle, for the sake of God's elect, or for the faith, I'm going to say, for the sake of the faith of God's elect, so underline faith if you've got your own copy of God's word, God's word, and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. So I want you to know something. Faith should progress to knowledge of the truth, and knowledge of the truth should lead to godliness. And so Paul's ministry and what we have in this book is something that is supposed to increase our faith, give us knowledge of the truth, that we might become godly. And so the scriptures are really clear. You can't just know things about the Bible and God and Jesus and be okay. True knowledge results in godliness. If you have a lot of knowledge, but you don't have a lot of godliness, you don't have much. You hear me? And if you think you're trying to be godly to earn God's favor, then you got no knowledge because you don't understand what the Bible says about your condition, which is death and sin. So I want you to get this. Paul's ministry in this book is for the building up of the faith of God's elect people so that they might attain to the knowledge of the truth, that they might know the scriptures, that they might know the gospel, that they might know what is right, that they might know sound teaching, and that they might become godly because of it. Have you ever noticed that sometimes the most religious people are the most unloving? You ever notice that sometimes the most religious people are the most condemning? Have you noticed that sometimes the people that talk the most about grace 
are the most graceless? Have you ever met some people who are just not merciful, and they should be because they, they quote-unquote, know the Bible, but they are not merciful? True doctrine accords with the Scripture, and it goes and talks about the deep things of God which are revealed in the Scriptures, including election and other things like that. But if they stay at the level of trivia and knowledge, that is not knowledge of the truth which results in godliness. Knowing the Scriptures should lead us to godly lives because that is a sign that we have faith which leads to knowledge which leads to godliness. It's an evidence that you actually believe the truth when you are godly in your behavior. That's why we recognize the hypocrisy of somebody who talks about grace and has no grace. That's why we, we, we understand, like, talking about the cross and all being sent, and then you, you realize there's so much judgmentalism, and you can't get it. It's why it, why it doesn't make sense to you. It's because godliness is supposed to lead or knowledge of the truth should lead us to godliness. That's why this, a Bible study that just mounts the facts can lead to some of the most ungodly people in the world. I know a lot about the Bible. Big whoop, are you following Jesus? I know a lot about the Bible, and listen, this person is inaccurate on their understanding of the end times when it regards to the parousia of Jesus Christ. Yeah, do you preach the gospel and do you love people? You got to be right, and you got to be full of godliness in the spirit. And I want to call us here. We are we are really good at being full of the spirit and loving people. But we got to take the next step in our knowledge of the truth. I'll call you to that. There's not a one of us here. If we were really into something, we wouldn't jump in and learn all about it. But we sometimes forget that when it comes to the scriptures. I want you to know this, too. Now, here's what we got. We're chosen by God. We've been given knowledge which results in godliness. That's a sound doctrine. I want you to see this. We have a sure hope based on God's promises. This is where I want to leave you with today. So Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in the hope. So this faith and knowledge and godliness all occur in the hope of eternal life. Now, this hope is not like, man, I just really hope things work out. This is not like just a really positive attitude about how things are going to work out. Here is where the hope relies. This is hope with a foundation. This is not hope like we use it. This is a foundational hope. And here's what it says. In the hope of eternal life, which God, so the hope is based on God, who never lies, and, and it was promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching of the gospel, which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. So note this, okay, and hear this, that our eternal life and our hope of eternal life, which is, here's the thing, we were created to never die. Death entered into the picture because of our sin. And there's a restoration coming in Jesus, this great hope. And this hope is not, man, I hope God accepts me. The hope is because of Jesus and his shed blood and his resurrection, God does accept me by faith. And now my hope is based on God, and God never lies. If you don't think that, if, if you hear the word doctrine, and as soon as you, I said the word doctrine to you, you were like, I don't, I don't like to know doctrine. 
I just need to know Jesus saves. Even that is doctrine, first off, number one, okay? You have to believe some things to be true. And so it's, it, it's like saying the only truth in the world is that there's no truth, which is a truth, which it makes your argument moot, okay? Because you just said that because your argument is based. Anyway, that's just self-defeating argument is what that is, okay? So we come to this place. Doctrine teaches us about who God is and not just who God, who we want God to be, who we think God should be. It shows us who the scriptures teach teaches God to be, and God is a God who does not lie. And you say, of course God is a God who doesn't lie. But look at the Quran. If you look at the Quran, Allah does not have to be honest all the time. In fact, he tricks people. But I thought it was all the same. That's my doctrinal term to say no. That's, look that one up, okay, when you go. No. The God of the Scriptures is seen as one who does not lie. And because he doesn't lie, you can take his promises to the bank. And he promised eternal life, and he promised to save his people before the foundations of the earth began. So your hope is not based on your feelings, your burrito, your circumstances. It's based on the finished work of Jesus, and God doesn't lie. So if he says, "All if, if I began a good work in you, I'll accomplish it to the day of Christ Jesus, which he does say through the apostle, he will accomplish it. And so our hope is not in our feelings or in like just a, 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 a good feeling about life. Our hope is in the God who doesn't lie, who sent his son Jesus to be our savior. So doctrine matters. Because if God is a liar, then we have, or could lie, then we have no hope and we have no certainty in this life. Because like, yeah, God said he would save me, but I don't know. He might change his mind, which is exactly what Islam believes. Which we, I hope I did enough good things and Allah's going to give me the thumbs up, but if not, he might go to that and it's just, he's arbitrary. The God of the Bible never lies. He's of such holiness perfection that there is not even a, a shadow of darkness in him of a lie. So if you think doctrine doesn't matter, Try to stand for your faith in the midst of death like most of these apostles did with, with believing that God's a liar. No, they were convinced of doctrine which led them to godliness, which led them to be bold in their faith. And I want you this. I want us all to take the next step of faith. And what is the next step, step of faith? Is it, is it knowing about, like, trying to figure out all the secrets of the book of Revelation? No. Please stop that. Please stop Please stop listening to blood moons and crazy people with big charts. Stop, okay? That's called insanity. Just stop it. Somebody talks to me about a blood moon, I'm just going to go, Bruh! No. Jesus coming back January 2021. No, he's not. Well, how do you know? Because he said, no man to know the time of the season. You just made a time. You might have you prevented his coming, which is not true. You can't do that. Sinner, Okay. Stop. No, it's know the scripture, understand the gospel, really know the Bible, understand how it relates to your life, and walk in godliness. Take it seriously. Dive into it. Read it. Get over your Bible reading plan. Get some people to read the Bible with. 
you're a man in here, we've been doing this, this really in-depth Bible study, and I want to invite you. We're gonna, we do it Thursday nights. Come see me or Tom, and we will get you hooked up in it if you want to jump into the Scriptures. We have some ladies' groups that are going to start kicking back up and meeting. I have a Sunday night Bible study group that's going to start next Sunday night. If you're serious about that, we're going to talk about knowing Jesus out of John's Gospel, and it's going to be Sunday every other Sunday night. Jump in, plug in. That is what you need. You don't need to know the secrets of the book of Revelation or how to unleash your faith. You need to know the scriptures which make you wise into salvation to understand Jesus Christ so you can remember and you can stand on a firm foundation that God doesn't lie and all of his promises are true. So you can walk in this world and you can face death or you can face persecution or you can face any number of things that come your way, poor health, anything. And you say, God never lies. I am holy and accepted by him, not because of my works, but because of faith in Jesus Christ. And he has a place for me because before the world began, he chose me, not because of my good works, but because of his goodness. And I don't understand it. I don't deserve it, but I'm chosen and I can take it to the bank because I have faith in Jesus, and he doesn't lie. And that is the only way we will grow. All scripture is God-breathed, and it's profitable for teaching, rebuke, and instruction so that, man, so that the man or the woman of God might be perfect and equipped for every good work. Doctrine makes a difference. As we come to this, would you bow your heart to your agenda or turn away from your agenda and bow your heart towards God's agenda in the Scriptures? He wants you to know the Scriptures, to understand right teaching, and to walk in godliness. That is what He desires for you. Will you bow to that? There's somebody today that I want to introduce to you. Natasha, if you would come up. Yeah, not on the stage, right over here. This is Natasha Reeves. Um, I'll tell you a little story about her. Many of you have probably seen her around for a while. Um, Natasha uh, has, she moved here from Wyoming last, right? Yeah, I was right. Okay. Um, uh, she moved here from Wyoming. She grew up in, uh, in a Catholic Catholic home, and we're glad to have her folks with us today. She grew up in a Catholic home, and uh, she ended up about 16 years old. She went to a, a church, and she didn't. She went. She was in the Catholic church. She she didn't understand the gospel. She went to this youth group, and somebody shared the good news of Jesus with her. She became a Christian, and she came what, about, a, about a year and a half ago. You came, moved to Middle Middle Tennessee. Sure. Okay. She's whatever, Matt. About a, a year and a half ago, uh, she came to Middle Tennessee, and she came. Um, to our youth group uh, that meets on Wednesday nights. And she immediately expressed to us that she was following Jesus and wanted to express her faith in baptism, which we said, great, let's do that. We were waiting for a time where she was ready to do that in front of everybody, and uh, we're at that time right now. And um, Natasha, did I get your story right? Okay, good. I want to make sure. And she has a testimony today. So what she's doing is in baptism, and just a reminder for those, maybe you're unclear with it. Thank you. Didn't mean to do that. I wear sh- I wore short sleeves because every time I wear long sleeves, I get completely soaked. And so um, <laughs> you didn't need to know that. So um, Natasha is coming today to, to share her faith, to, to, to express that, to do this. Baptism is a symbol. It doesn't save, but it's a symbol of an inner reality that she has turned from her sin and self, and she has trusted Jesus Christ, and now she will follow him the rest of her life. And that's why we, in baptism we have the burial and a resurrection. She dies with Christ and is raised to a new life with him. And so, Natasha, is it your desire to get in this cold water and to express that 
that faith in Jesus in, in front of this congregation? It, she said yes, unless you, in case you didn't hear it. So let's get you in here, and I'll baptize you. It's cold. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't lying. That you're good. Natasha, it is my... It's my honor and pleasure to baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, I'd like all of you to pray that pneumonia doesn't set in, okay, um, for her. And encourage her, if you will, about her faith in Jesus. She's, she's a cool young lady. She drives herself to church um, Sunday morning. She's awesome. So, Natasha, God bless you. We'll let you get dried off here in a second. We're going to be dismissed. God, we bow to your agenda. We want your word to speak clear. We're thankful for the promises that you've made to us, which we know are true because you don't lie. You have kept your promises to Abraham and David, and you've kept your promises in Christ, and you will keep your promises till Christ returns again and then forevermore. You are a God that has nothing but light in him. We're thankful for that, God, and I pray that your light would so shine in the darkness in, in our lives, that people would see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. That is our prayer, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.